everybody. Welcome to another episode of Cracked Up, the podcast where we talk about everything that makes us feel broken. And Randy, help me out here. Yeah, we're going to talk about just how hard this life can be and what it's like to not feel okay. This program is comprised solely of the participants' recollections, stories, and information as told to host and by host during recorded conversation. Any information disclosed about individuals related to the participants, but not a part of this program, is a retelling of the participants' memory. I'm Angelica Hester, multimedia editor-creator, and this is my co-host. I am Randy Corgan. I am a licensed psychotherapist that specializes in addiction and substance use and one of Angelica's best friends since middle school. Oh my God, we've known each other so damn long. So Randy, what makes you want to do this podcast? You and I have always connected on, we'll call it our childhood trauma. I think we both have been so successful despite some of the things that we've been through. Um, And I know you are such a big inspiration for me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And, you know, I'm also proud of myself for the the road that I've taken and and kind of taking my pain and turning it into a a beautiful story. And these are things I want to share with other people, other young women, um, anyone who feels like life is hard and maybe you didn't have the picture perfect upbringing. Um, It doesn't mean you can't make a beautiful life for yourself. What I love about that is like, when I hear you talk about your struggles, your story, you inspire me. But what I also love about having this show and this platform is now we have this opportunity to not just share our own personal stories, but we get to connect with other people and hear theirs. We'll have guests on that, you know, whether it be other professionals in the mental health space to weigh in on very specific topics. We will also have some individuals who have kind of been through their own struggles because we want to take the approach of having some raw, authentic wisdom shared. One big thing that I feel excited about this show is like, we're going to bring people on not to just to share the, the cracked up part of themselves, but to also share how they're making life happen with that. That's a huge part of this. Like we can keep going, we can make life happen. um, And it really helps to hear how other people are doing it. Yeah, absolutely. Because like you said, there's a lot of, you know, my own patients I'll say that really struggle with seeing the future ahead, the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, And they feel like their trauma is just too much or the pain is just too deep. And it's so hard to see that you can heal and you can improve and you can have a happy, successful life. Um, But I think you and I are both uh, examples of that. And our our stuff runs pretty deep. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, okay. So you are a therapist. And this I wonder often, because, you know, you sit there in a room with a therapist, say you get a therapist, you go and you sit in a room with one and you're... Mm -hmm you're leaning your life on them. Right. But you always got to think they came from their own shit. How does that affect their ability to lend themselves to me? Part of training to be a therapist is kind of working on your own stuff. Now that's not a prerequisite. I know for certain like psychoanalysis type of therapy, you actually have to be a patient in psychoanalysis and you have to be on the couch three to five days a week and really confront your stuff. 
Um, but I think, you know, it's poor, it's part of the ethical code as a therapist to do no harm. And part of that means knowing your own stuff, having your own self-awareness and ensuring that your own trauma and your own counter-transference doesn't interfere with the therapeutic relationship. On the other hand, I think there's a big benefit in, you know, I think it's called the wounded warrior in really knowing what it's like to be not exactly in that person's shoes, because that's absolutely impossible, but to know what it's like to feel like there is this insurmountable road ahead of me. And it just feels so difficult. Um, and just us offer that the wisdom and the ability to you know, to, to get through it themselves. And, you know, the compassion is always there, which is, doesn't come natural to most people, but, yeah. you know, I think there is a benefit in that. Yeah, for sure. And I know when we spoke to Terry Singletary, who works in the addiction field, that wounded warrior approach to the field mm-hmm. is, is huge when it comes to addiction, treatment, therapy, coaching. Um, And it's interesting to hear you saying just therapy in general. So talk a little bit about your wounded warrior. What, how did you get driven to therapy? I decided I wanted to be a therapist in high school. Really? I didn't realize you could then. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I wanted to work with young adolescent girls because I was a young adolescent girl. Oh. Uh, I think adolescence in general is one of the most difficult transitions for human beings. Oh, hell yeah. Middle school is rough. <laughs> <laughs> My God. It's hard. Um, I, in high school, I was introduced to Miss Shepard and I've actually reached out to her a few years back to give her credit for really inspiring my journey. Uh, Miss Shepard was the drug counselor at Austin high school. Uh, I was introduced to her by another friend of ours who we will hopefully have as a guest on the show at one point. Uh, and she was talking to Miss Shepard about just some of the things she was going through. She also came from a pretty dysfunctional home. Um, so I saw Miss Shepard for a period of time and we talked about some of the things that were going on in my home and my mother's addiction and just feeling really, we'll say neglected at that point. And she helped me not only with the emotional regulation stuff, but she also helped me book doctor's appointments, like my first gynecologist appointment when I was 16 and I was starting to become sexually active and my mother wasn't doing those things for me. Working with her, I mean, she helped me establish, I think, more of a secure attachment system, which we can talk more about in later sessions. I can explain a little bit about what attachment systems look like. We all need it if you're out dating in this world today. (laughs) Understand (laughs) your attachment. Understand what yours is, understand how to clock the person you're dating, because that shit is so real and true and helps so much. Yeah. Date number one is what is your attachment style? I'm serious. (laughs) That should be the prerequisite. Like that actually, they should put that on the dating apps. A little checkbox. Holy (laughs) shit. That should definitely be on there. (laughs) Great idea. But you can't check the box yourself. We should get the quiz on there and you have to take it. And you can't deny the check. You can't deny the (laughs) label. We have to make this happen. <laughs> I love it. So yeah, I just felt like I'm going to pay it forward. I want to do for other young girls what Miss Shepard did for me. And then it, you know, I took a little twist and then I started working with the forensic population. And, and now I work with all types of different people and different ages and backgrounds, um, not just young adolescent girls, because they are actually a difficult population to work with, but... <laughs> <laughs> 
um, I give her a lot of credit. So thank you, Ms. Shepard, if you're Aww. listening. Um, but I have reached out to her and, and thanked her because she she saved my life to a certain extent. That's amazing. That's beautiful to hear. I've had plenty of teachers and counselors like step in and just make me feel connected. And I think that's like a big thing too, like when it comes to when you're feeling broken, when you're feeling cracked up, like the desire to feel connected and the inability to, because you just feel so off with yourself and so wrong with yourself. Going through as a therapist, you went through a lot with your mom's addiction. I know you've dated, had a long-term relationship with someone who had addiction. Have you ever had a patient who hits on your triggers with all of that? Oh, Absolutely. (laughs) So so like, how do you, as a therapist, how do you even confront that? I think you're asking me if I've had maybe a patient that is an active addiction that triggered me. Yeah. If that's your trigger. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think first and foremost, I have recognized in my journey as a therapist that white women with addictions to um, narcotics are a huge trigger for me. Wow, That is something I've had to have pretty in-depth supervision about. So I think to answer that question on a whole, and, and it kind of ties into the other question you had about how do you not bring your own stuff into therapy is self-awareness, right? So knowing these are the target, this is the target population. These are the type of patients that will trigger my stuff. So yeah, you put a white woman, an older white woman in front of me that has this victim mentality and is either drinking or taking pills or, you know, some kind of sedative. Um, but just, you know, the, the victim mentality for me is a huge trigger. Uh, how do I not respond to that? I seek supervision, right? I have to, I have to manage myself. My job is to be non-judgmental and compassionate towards every patient that's in front of me. I have to recognize that this patient is not my mother. She is not the one who put me through the shit my mother did. So she's not the target. Um, So yeah, just recognizing that this is a trigger for me. This is a certain person that would trigger these things in me and making sure that your own bias doesn't interfere with the the treatment essentially. So granny's on pain pills. You're probably going to refer out to someone else right now. Probably. probably. (laughs) That's good. (laughs) (laughs) just from the episodes we've recorded in the episode we're even recording now like when you talk I'm like oh my god I see how I bring my shit forward in life like in any interaction and I think that thing you're saying about being self-aware like that's been a huge tool for me to work through my trauma when it's triggered, especially if I'm like in a professional situation, uh, you know, a friendship situation, a dating situation, um, close family situations. So they're a little harder to control. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, That's a good point. The self-awareness is important to have in every relationship you have because any kind of relational trauma, which occurs when there is some a disruption with your primary caregivers right if there's addiction or mental health issues and some kind of emotional instability there's relational trauma essentially how you relate to other people in the world so romantic partnerships are like top they're they're the number ones where your stuff will be triggered because these people 
get, you know, they're usually the closest people to you. And let's be real, like as human beings, we're built for connection. Like you can be as independent minded and like, I can do this on my own mindset as you want, but like we are built to be tribal, neurologically built to seek out connection with other people. And unfortunately, we are born into these situations. <laughs> More people have trauma than they're willing to accept and face. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's, you know, what I just referenced as relational trauma. There is a huge population of people that don't even know what that is. What what does that mean? Right. Clinically speaking, PTSD is categorized as something that's a near-death experience or some kind of overt trauma where you call it big T trauma, right? Physical assault, sexual assault, um, a death, right? Near-death experience, something that is cut and dry, right? This is a very traumatic experience. Relational trauma is more about the misattunement with your primary caregivers and not having the emotional platform to develop a healthy sense of self which carries your entire lifetime. This is something, this is a new, not as a new type of trauma, but a trauma that I think society is embracing more now as we're seeing how it manifests in relationships, which we also know, like you just talked about, is probably the most important part of life is human bonding and connection. You know, I think as a parent too, because I have a, a son and I'm constantly like, and I think I think a lot of parents go through this shit, but like, you're always like, oh my God, I don't want to like traumatize my kid. But I also think there's a part of me, I get so over anxious about it. Like you just got to let that shit go. Cause you don't know what's going to traumatize them. Right. right. <laughs> you gotta do the best you can. Cause like I said, you know, I make a joke with other parents, like they're all walking out of this, turning back and saying, mom, you fucked me up this way. Um, no matter what, level you take to try not to do that but I was just thinking as a parent it's fucking hard <laughs> how do you not repeat the cycle yes yes to not repeat the cycle and just like in general I think I'm like so hyper vigilant on that like I don't want to intent not intentionally but I don't want to be negligent in my role on setting the stage for my son's life. So going back to what we were saying before, how like your romantic relationships are primary in bringing shit up. All your baggage. All your baggage. And because I've known you for so long and I've been through a lot with you, what what was like a, a really hard time for you, a trying time for you where you've hit almost like a rock bottom and you've had to make a huge upheaval shift in yourself to grow? Yeah. So I, I know that exact moment and you were actually present for that. Uh, we'll call it my rock bottom. Um, and when I think about emotional healing and that journey, I often refer to it as being unconscious and living in an unconscious state, because until you do the work and you bring that self-awareness, you will live in an unconscious state and essentially repeat all of your maladaptive behaviors and patterns. So I was doing that very much. So in my first relationship, that was a total fuckery, a uh, 13 year Woo! relationship. That was a complete enmeshment of me playing out my story with my mom and her addiction and trying to heal and save her. I play that out with my first boyfriend that I started dating in 
middle school until uh, I don't know college at some point most of us don't even stay married 13 years anymore so that is like damn you were <laughs> codependency that's pretty much oh. what it wasn't a healthy 13 yeah. years but <laughs> it was more like I can't let go of this person I can't survive without them yeah um which is which was my stuff because this person couldn't have been more unhealthy for me. Um, but there was a moment where shit hit the fan and you were there. We were out in Jersey for the weekend. I think it was a uh, labor day weekend. We were out with friends and this person I was dating, uh, who has been in, who had been in active addiction for so long. Um, that was an opportunity that weekend for him to show me he was doing better and the one promise he made to me was to come to bed with me on time because that was an issue for him was never wanting to go to bed because he was up all night on drugs. So that weekend, I sure enough, woke up alone in bed uh, and then found him downstairs hallucinating on certain drugs. And, um, you know, I, I gradually got him to bed and woke up in the morning and I walked into the room you were sleeping in and I was just so visibly distraught. I think I was like literally shaking with anxiety and fear and just like, holy shit. And you and your sister yeah, looked at me. We both have known both of you for so long. Even my sister has had like such a connection with your ex. So like it wasn't, it was never out of like, oh, this asshole, terrible person. Like he has his struggles and all of that. But like, we were both like, this has hit it. <laughs> I want you to finish your experience of it, but just so you know, like the, the day leading up to this, like when we were all at the beach and you showed up, I hadn't seen you for a bit. And I just remember thinking like, oh my God, Randy just looks so miserable and unhappy and depressed. And that's not you. Like you are this like bright, vibrant, like I, I bring energy to people. I, love being around people. I, you know, you're, you're, you're a celebration when, when you show up, like, it's really nice. It obviously not to like a, a fake place, but like when you show up, it, it always feels bright and wonderful when you're yourself, you showed up on the beach that day. And I like me and my sister both were like, Oh shit. Like she is just like, dying in this relationship like she is just not her dying inside yeah I think you're you know you're not the only one to have said that to me I was visibly distraught because my nervous system was constantly activated in fight or flight I was a nervous wreck I was constantly sick to my stomach yeah and little did I know that that was not normal <laughs> that most people were not operating on that yeah. you know, amplified state of emotional being, uh, day to day. And I didn't realize, I thought this was totally normal and your partner that you love and supposed to trust makes you feel this way. It's like, well, that's not actually normal. You always felt that way around your parents, yeah. like this yeah. translated easily and it was familiar. Oh, yeah, This was totally familiar. Unless you had reached this point or you had so many people from the outside telling you constantly, like you're not going to recognize it you're just, you're in it. I appreciate you guys both just being honest with me. Cause there was also a period where I didn't want to hear the honesty. I didn't want to hear any input because <laughs> well in there. You know, my partner told me, don't listen to your friends, just focus on me, which is another whole form of manipulation and gaslighting we'll talk about. But you guys looked at me and you said, Randy, this is 
this has got to stop. You've got to take care of yourself. Yeah. And I left him there that weekend and decided to live a life without him, which was probably the one of the most difficult, no, the most difficult things I've ever done in my life, but best thing I ever did in my life. But you were like entering adulthood completely, right? You were what, like 20? Um, Yeah, I, I was either 28 or 29. I mean, I yeah. was, I should have been much further along as far as maturity and emotional maturity and but you were doing your thing. Like that's the wildest part about it. Like someone, someone from the outside, outside who, who didn't really see the inner workings of your dynamic with him. If they just saw what you were doing in your regular life, you were pursuing your, your educational goals, your professional goals. You were actively social for the most part. Someone on the outside, outside would be like, this woman's got it going on. Getting my master's degree. I was working two jobs at the time, busting my ass. And yeah, I put on a happy face and I went about my business and I did my thing. But if you ever saw me and him together, if you didn't pick up on that anxiety and tension and something was very off with you as well because it was so palpable yeah and it was it was like you guys would enter a space and it was like everyone was waiting for that dynamic to play out because it was like almost this mother child thing happening and was like a mother child constantly watching and uh disciplining and oh yeah horrible 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 I was so proud to like see you emerge and keep going and you actually helped inspire me I was like in the middle of my yucky relationship at the time not quite the same but like when it came time for me to come through a moment similar I just remember like Randy totally recreated her life and transformed herself and pushed through this because you know that attachment that like connection with a person even if it is destructive like it's it feels just so comfortable to have them to know it yeah I mean biologically and again we'll talk more about attachment systems but biologically it feels like life or death without this person and when that that rip it really feels like a rip apart if unless you're so detached emotionally from feeling connection like that which I am not I live and breathe for that connection sometimes on an unhealthy level too (laughs) so like knowing you had gone through that and seeing that I was so proud of you when I went through it a few years later it was not an easy decision for me it was full of so many codependencies and our families were so enmeshed but like I do remember thinking and I called you a lot through that time but like I do remember thinking like she pushed her way through this like she recreated her life like I can do this I mean we talk about rock bottom to be quite honest I was suicidal after that breakup yeah I literally did not think I could survive without this person despite him being so unhealthy for me and our dynamic being so we'll say toxic um yeah, you sometimes you have to hit that rock bottom. Um, but you know, I I wouldn't have gotten through it without all the support I had from you, my girlfriends, and my new therapist that I started yeah. with at the same yeah. time. Which I'll, I'll talk about at some point too. But there's a lot of work that has to be done, and it's yeah. I mean, we talk about healing not being pretty, and it's it's really really difficult, but it's attainable. Yeah, for sure. And I'm trying to think, cause like I said, I, I look to you and I, 
I definitely had to grow up in ways that I wasn't allowing myself to grow before because I was so in tune to my partner and enmeshed in the toxicity of our relationship. But yeah, you you do the work. You it's fucking hard <laughs> and you push past yeah. it. And you just touched on attachments, right? And I I kind of used addiction and attachments as like synonymously because we are all attached to something, believe yeah. it or not. So yeah. even as destructive as it can be for me, you know, really destructive relationships, eating disorders, drugs yeah. and alcohol, whatever it happens to be for you, it's an attachment you've created to find some sense of identity. If you yeah. have felt so empty or so lost in life. Or safety, sure. just because you said it and it's, it's ringing a tone to me, like a point in my life where I probably felt more of that, like, I don't know if I could do this was when I was working through my anorexia and I was really sick in my early twenties. I felt safe. I didn't feel safe. Like, oh, this is what's keeping me healthy. I felt safe because I could control something in my life. I could control the amount of food I took in. I could control the amount of energy I put out. Everything in my world is chaotic as fuck. I can't control any of it. I can't control my emotions. At that time, I couldn't control my emotions around it. I didn't understand what it was to experience emotion without letting it overpower my being. So, you know, there was a lot to learn in that respect. Today, I can't miss a meal. I get angry. (laughs) Like, I love food. Um... I could never live how I lived then. And it's, I was so overwhelmed by the emotion I was feeling from the chaos in my life that I just grasped onto whatever little thing I could control. And that was it. What you're saying about relationships and um, addiction and like eating disorders all being bunched together, the thing you think you can control or the thing that's bringing you that comfort and safety is what takes your life out of control. You sometimes are not going to see it yourself and you need to like trust the people around you. And without these things, which you just pointed to the the idea that we have control, we have no control. And then without them, there is such such a huge empty void of who am I in this world? Who am I without this thing, this drug, this person, this whatever this fancy car whatever it is for you and that empty void can be so intolerable for most people for you know you and I I think know that we've been through enough trauma to feel it um that yeah you I think you question life and that's where suicidality comes from with where you're at now when you're feeling a little broken or out of control or fucking triggered what's a way you reconnect with Randy and your and your drive for living Well, I've been practicing a really long time to gain these coping skills. So to be honest, now it comes pretty naturally to me. And I actually share this with my patients. Sometimes when I'm feeling really emotionally triggered, I don't even realize I put my hand to my chest or to to my heart. Uh, And it just happens automatically because I've done, again, I've done so much work. I've listened to so many meditations and, you know, deep breathing activities and just connecting with what's happening naturally in your body, right? Like feeling your heart beating, sometimes just kind of conceptualizing your blood flowing through your veins. That's a grounding technique. So sometimes I will just put my hand to my heart 
and feel my heart beating. And it just slows me down. It takes me away from, you know, whatever thoughts I'm having and brings me back to a grounded state. Um, secondary to that, it helps me feel like, okay, your heart's racing and it doesn't need to be. <laughs> yeah. um, and, you know, one of my favorite quotes, and I used to have it hanging in my old office is your anxiety is lying to you. You are safe and you are loved. I love that. Yes. I mean, that's a really good go-to when you're just feeling out of control, because at the end of the day, most of the things we worry about do not matter. And just connecting with your heart and knowing I am safe in this moment. um, That's a good starting point. All right, cool. Well, I think this was a great kickoff. I'm so excited for what we have ahead. Um, The the guests we're bringing on, the topics we're going to cover. I cannot wait to share more. I cannot wait to learn more. I'm secretly getting a little therapy of my own doing this show. So (laughs) save a little on insurance. Just do a podcast with your therapist friend. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you everyone for joining us for this episode of Cracked Up. Angelica and I are very excited for future episodes where we are going to talk about a variety of issues, mental health related, addiction, recovery, childhood trauma. We'd love to hear from you guys. If you have any feedback, any requests on topics you want to hear or learn about, please find me at Randy Mental Health on Instagram. My handle is Randy spelled R-A-N-D-I underscore mental health underscore. Angelica, where can everyone find you? You can also find me on Instagram. I'm at Jella Hester. That's Jella, G-E-L-L-A. No space, Hester, H-E-S-T-E-R. Thanks again for joining us and we'll talk to you next week. This podcast is presented solely for educational and entertainment purposes. It is not intended as a substitute for any type of medical advice.